going to ask you to turn to the book of James this morning. We've been in the book of James on Sunday nights, and we're going to be in the book of James this morning. James chapter 1, we'll begin to read in verse number 19. I want to speak to you and challenge you this morning from God's Word on this title, Benefiting from God's Word. Benefiting from God's Word. James chapter 1, we'll begin to read in verse number 19. Won't you stand with me, all those that can and are able, in honor and in reverence for the reading of God's Word. We're in James chapter 1. Begin to read verse number 19. The Bible says these words. So then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath. For the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted Word, which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it, and is not a forgetful hearer but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed and what he does. Let's pray together. God, we ask that your spirit would challenge hearts and lives today. God, I pray if there's one who's never been born again into the family of God, they can't say they're part of the brethren that James speaks of. God, I pray they'll choose today to repent of sin and trust Christ to be Lord of their life. God, I pray that you'll really, through the ministry of the Holy Spirit, help us to take inventory to see if these qualities uh, mark our lives that make us uh, to, and bring us to a place that we can fully be blessed by your precious, holy, infallible, inerrant word. And God, as we come to a time of invitation, whatever it is you're calling each person to do, God, I pray we'll humble ourselves before you and we'll respond to it, that your best might be a reality in our lives today. It's in Christ's precious and holy name we pray. Amen. Now I'm about you to be seated. We haven't been joining us on uh, Sunday nights uh, just in review. Uh, the book of James is written uh, to mature Christians out of infanthood and on into a grown-up believer. Uh, James' encouragement is to get believers off the milk and on to beefsteak, on to the deeper truths of God's Word and deeper surrender and deeper commitment. To God's Word. The first part of James, uh, he challenges us about hardships and trials and difficulties that each of us will face in our walk with Christ and how to have the proper view of all of those because of the desired end that God wants to bring about in our lives as he walks us through those hardships and difficulties. And then later on in chapter 1, he challenges us to be aware of temptations that Satan will try to bring. God allows trials and sometimes sends trials into our lives, to develop within us uh, spiritual maturity, depth, uh, steadfastness in our faith. But Satan tries to take that, that trial and turn it into a temptation. God wants to bring out our best and his best in our lives through trials. Satan wants to bring out the worst through temptations. But then he continues on, and, and it really revolves around this what our relationship is with the Word of God. And so James begins to teach the importance 
of God's Word in every believer's life. And also our responsibility to receive it, but also this, to do it. To make it a living reality in your life. And so for God's Word to really be a benefit in your life, three realities have to exist in your life. And and really you have to be marked by them in order to benefit from God's Word. The first reality must be that of humility. Number one, it must be the reality of humility in your life toward the Word. Listen to what the Bible says again in verse number 19. So then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath, for the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. But he begins again by saying, my beloved brethren. And, you know, he, James wasn't trying to be hip or cool like some of the kids today that say, hey, bro, how's it going? He, he literally is talking about spiritual brethren. Jesus spoke to Nicodemus in John chapter 3. John chapter 3, verse 7, he told Nicodemus, you must be born again. And so he's speaking to those, not who are just members of the church, who have signed a card, who have been baptized. But there's a real reality in their life that they have responded to the call of the Holy Spirit. They have turned from sin and repentance. And by faith, Romans 10, 9, 10, they have confessed Christ as Lord of their life. And when that happens spiritually, you're born again into the family of God. You're part of God's family. And so he, he says, brethren, friend, you need to understand that the Word of God is never going to make sense to you. And, and really, it, it's kind of going to be like Charlie Brown's teacher talking. Remember, the wah, 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 you never could hear anything that she said? Well, you're going to hear somebody read the Word of God. You're going to hear someone speak the Word of God. But 1 Corinthians 2.14 says, The natural man receives not the things of God, neither can he know them, for they're spiritually discerning. He goes on to say, they're foolishness. The, the spiritual things will just be foolishness to you because you have to have spiritual ears and spiritual eyes to see God's Word and to hear God's Word. And you have to have a spiritual heart to understand God's Word. And so you must be born again. And so that's one of the first things that marks this humility is, is part of being part of the family of God. But then he says we need to be swift to hear. And you need to make sure you get it in the right order. He doesn't say we need to be swift to speak and slow to hear. That's a sad reality in some people's lives. He said we need to be swift to hear, literally quick. That is to have an ear for the right thing. Uh, you know, we didn't understand it until it came about, and my wife was able more than I. But, you know, a train could have sat down on our house right after our first child was born. My wife wasn't going to wake up. I mean, she just, she just wouldn't. Um, a, a helicopter could have hovered over our house. And she's sawing logs till the next morning. But if our child whimpered, boom, she was straight up. And often you had to stop her because she might run into the wall or the dresser, but she was, she was across and trying to make out. Listen, why? She had an ear for the right thing. As a mother, her ear was in tune to what it needed to be in tune for. And friend, as a child of God, your ear has to be in tune to the Word of God. And can I just say, after all these years of ministry, it always, it doesn't surprise me anymore, but it did early on. We know you could build a crowd with hot dogs and singing and fun, but if you said these words, Bible study, take your Bibles, boy, it just, you thought you'd announced the IRS was coming by for a visit with a notebook. And that's because people didn't have an ear for the Word of God. 
So James says, if you're going to benefit from God's word, you, you have to be swift to hear and slow to speak. That doesn't mean there can't be a response or in Bible study. We can't share what it is that God's speaking to us. And can I say again, it'll never violate those first two truths, what the original message was to the original audience and what the time-transcending truth is. And so when someone begins to say, and say well, if it, well, I just think, and what they think violates the time-transcending truth, it really doesn't matter what they think because the truth will always be the truth. But what the Bible is saying here is be, be, be slow to speak. Don't argue with God. Whatever God says, he says. And wisdom says he's smarter than we are, so receive it for what it is, and it's the word of God. So just be slow to speak and ready to receive it. Proverbs chapter 17, verse 27 says, He that hath knowledge spareth his words. My friend, you can learn a whole lot when you just keep your mouth shut. Just, just be quiet and listen. And I'm not trying to be disrespectful. I'm just talking about... In life in general, if you have a teachable spirit, there will always be people who know more than you. And, and can, I, can I encourage our seniors in our church, don't let all of the wisdom that many of you have learned through, through the school of hard knocks and things that you've learned, go to the grave with you. Uh, I can challenge ladies, but also the men. Just as Titus challenged the ladies uh, there in Crete to, to, to help share wisdom and raise up a godly generation of young women, men, you do the same. Pull some of these boys to the side and share with them what you Encourage them, not just reach and teach, but encourage them in how to be men of God. And if they don't want to listen, they may not listen. But I promise you, it'll stay with them. There'll come a time in their life they're going to remember the words that you said. Be swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath. James says. It doesn't mean you have to be some spiritual pacifist wimp that's always a doormat. He's talking here about don't be angry with the Word. Don't run sideways at what the Bible says. Paul wrote to those churches in the area of Galatia, Galatians chapter 4 and verse 16. He says, if I become your enemy because I tell you the truth, just because the Word of God convicts you, and convicts you of sin in your life, either commission or omission, don't hate the word. And can I just say, don't hate the messenger. Because they're just sharing what God's already written. Be it Sunday school from the pulpit, someone you listen to on the radio, if they're really a true teacher or preacher of God's word, they're not adding to it, friend. They're just putting it on the table. And that's been my philosophy of ministry for all these years. God cooks the meal, but it's up to me to serve it just as hot as I possibly can. And so don't hate the delivery man. Don't hate the word just because it convicts you. Listen, there's no contradiction in God's word, but God's word contradicts you. And people will hate the well, I just, well, nothing. It's you. It's you. And so he says, if, if the Word of God is going to make a difference in your life, you must be marked by humility. Verse number 20, for the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. You can get mad at the Word all you want to, but the God's Word's not going to change, and you're not going to change. It's forever settled in heaven, Psalm 119, verse 89. You're never going to change the Word of God. And there are cults that try to. There are churches today that stealthily try to change God's Word by just not reading and teaching certain passages. 
And so therefore, they've made those passages null and void in effect in the lives of believers because they're ignorant of them. You can get mad at the Word, but it will not bring about the righteousness of God in your life. Listen to me. If you're going to benefit from God's Word, either through preaching, teaching, or through personal Bible study, your heart and life must be marked in your mind by humility. You've got to humble yourself before the Word and realize that it is what it is. The inspired, infallible, inerrant Word of holy God, Jehovah. It's what it is. And we receive it as that. Secondly, our lives not, must not only be marked by humility, but another reality must be that of hospitality. And I'm not talking about opening up your home to visitors. I'm talking about opening up your life to the Word of God. You must be hospitable to God's Word. That is, you desire to receive it. I hope you don't really try this, but, you know, if you're just a hard head, you know, and you need the illustration, go ahead. Um, but when someone gets sick sometimes and drinks something they shouldn't, um, a, a physician or a loved one will get a quart of warm water, and then they'll fill it up with salt and begin to stir that salt up to get a good, solid concentration of salt water. And then they'll have that person drink that just as quickly as they can. And then their body's going to let them know how much they don't want that salt water to be at home in their stomach. And they're going to regurgitate everything that's in their stomach. Friend, listen, you can't treat God's Word that way. And I've spent years in ministry talking with people. They don't like the way God's Word tastes. And they don't like this. And the reason why is they're not hospitable toward the Word of God. You see, when a person gets saved, they're responsible from the, the entire counsel of God's Word from cover to cover. I'll give you an example. A college student signs up for a course. And when they sign up for that course, they get this little dreaded piece of paper or pieces of paper. It's really bad when it's that. They're stapled together. And that's called a syllabus. And it's got the entire responsibility uh, of responsibilities listed that that student's going to have toward that professor during the year. All the papers they're going to have to write. All of the tests that they're going to have. All the book reports. Every single thing that, that they're responsible for. If they won't pass that course... They have to fulfill what's in that syllabus. Well, when they signed up for the course, they didn't know everything that was in the syllabus, but when they signed up for it, they were saying, whatever this was in this is in this course, I accept it, and I'm going to fulfill it. Well, when someone gets saved, they may not know all of the commands and all of the responsibilities that are in God's Word, but by default, friend, they surrender and submit themselves to it. They have to make their heart and life hospitable. That is receptive to all of God's word. And, and so listen to what he says in verse number 21. Therefore, because of these truths that are found in verses 19 and 20, therefore, lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. He says lay aside. That means literally to put off or to put away. Therefore, lay aside all. And you know what that word all means in the original language? Anybody want to guess? It means all. 
means everything. It means each, every, any, all. That therefore, lay aside all filthiness. That literally means defiling sin. Friend, we're living in a day where the devil is trying to reclassify sin. And things that the Bible says are filthy, well, they're celebrated. Matter of fact, you know, if it's filthy enough, you might even get a whole month to celebrate it. Or a whole week. Or they might even fly a flag at the White House just to celebrate that filthiness. This is the day that we're living in. Friend, I want to remind you, the Word of God is forever settled. And what the Bible says is wrong is wrong. And what the Bible says is right, it's always going to be right. And so the devil and the world can try to reclassify those things. And I'm not just talking about sexual immorality, friend. I'm talking about any kind of sin. If the Bible says it's filth, it's filth. But see, the devil will try to bring you to a place where he'll try to callous us. And to make us kind of immune to just really how filthy some things are. I heard about a high school several years ago. The custodians were having some trouble with the, the ladies' restrooms. The girls were coming in and it just became a little trend that they were trying to be cute. They would, between classes, after they had powdered their nose, they would put their lipstick on. And then instead of getting a piece of paper, they were blotting on the mirrors. They would lean up and just blot, and so they just kept living these lip prints on their... Well, the janitors were having to spend time cleaning all of that wax off every day, and it was just smearing, and it was just a trouble. And so the principal, being a good leader, he got creative, and so it was a smaller high school. He, he broke the girls up into several different groups, but he, he, he filled the bathroom. He had a female rep come in there with him, some of the teachers, and he had one of the janders in there, and he was going to try to shame the girls a little bit about what was going on. He says, now, now, girls, we've got a problem. We don't know who's doing this. We've got a problem that you're putting your lipstick on and you're blotting on the mirrors. And John here, the custodian, he's having to clean this up every day. And just for you to see how hard it is for him to clean it up, I want you to watch him clean it. And John went over and got a toilet brush and stuck it down in the toilet and began to wash all of that lipstick off. And after that meeting, there were no more lip blots found on the mirror. You see, those girls had to see, friend, really understand just what they were kissing. And friend, we've got to be reminded from God's Word that when we kiss sin, just how filthy it really is. See, the devil tried to make sin. Well, this is, this is clean. This is acceptable. This isn't as bad. Friend, if the Bible says it's filth, it's filth. You're never going to benefit from God's Word if you have a dirty heart. Why? Psalm 66, verse 18, If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Bible says God won't hear me. Isaiah 59, 2. Any unconfessed sin separates me positionally from Jesus Christ. I'm, able to, I'm unable to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit. His ministry is now quenched. I've grieved him. And so the Bible says we're, we're to lay aside all filthiness, but he continues to say an, an overflow of, of wickedness. These are, these are the remains of sin that exist after salvation. Now listen. When you first get saved and the Holy Spirit convicts you of your lostness, someone shares the gospel, 
you choose to repent of your sin and trust Christ, you are saved immediately. But listen to me. Now begins the process of sanctification. All of those desires aren't going to go away immediately. Every sin that was in your life, it may not just disappear that moment. An alcoholic may still be an alcoholic after they get saved. But the great thing they have now is the presence of the Holy Spirit and the promise of God's Word who says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, even defeating any kind of addiction. And so James is saying those, those residue sins that remain, you've got to put those things away. It's a medical term. don't want to gross you out, but it's a term that d- describes like excess wax in our ears. Sometimes people will get a, a wax buildup, and they'll have to go to the doctor, and they've got a better thing now than they, they used to have that bulb that they just, whoo, you know, in your ear, and you'd hold up that little kidney cup underneath your ear. Well, now they've got a little squirt bottle with a little plastic tube, and they'll just they'll squirt that in there, and little by little it will dislodge all of that wax, and all of a sudden you can hear again. Well, the Bible here is saying that sin can build up in our life that way, just like wax hinders our hearing, residue sins and remains of it can hinder God's work in our lives because it deafens our spiritual ears to the truths of God's Word. You have to be clean. Therefore, lay aside all filthiness, overflow of wickedness, and receive. You see, because if you don't, you're going to be like Lazarus. Remember John chapter 11? And Lazarus had spiritual life. Jesus said, Lazarus, come forth, and he came forth. But remember, he came out of the grave wearing those grave clothes. And you remember what Jesus said in John chapter 11, verse number 44? He said, loose him and let him go. All of that residue had to be removed from him. And when it was, then he was able to receive the life now fully that Christ had given him. Therefore, lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness. And here's the hospitality, look. And receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. That word receive literally means to be at home. To be at home. I mean, friend, it's as it's, it's at home as the feeling when you knew you didn't even have to knock on the door of your grandmother's house. Just swing the door open. You can smell biscuits left over from that morning, a cake she's just baked. There's going to be a, 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 a good hug that they're going to give you, love and encouragement. I mean, friend, it just it feels like home just talking about it. That's the way the Word of God has to be in your heart. You receive it. You see, God, I want, even if it contradicts me, God, in my life, I want your Word because my greatest desire is to be like Jesus Christ. You just want to receive His Word. And you do it with meekness. It's with a mild, gentle spirit. It's, now listen, sometimes you have to be hospitable but can I just be honest? It's really not somebody who won't stay in your house a long time. Don't act so holy. Somebody knows what I'm talking about. And that's not the way we're to receive the word. Like, well, I'm going to receive it, but I don't like it. You're never going to benefit from God's word. If it's God's word, you want to receive it because you know it's from your heavenly Father. 
It's going to bring about his desired end. Not, well, I know I'm supposed to, so I'm going to. You're never going to benefit the way you should. You're to receive God's word with meekness. And listen, what he continues to go on to say to describe it, it's to be the implanted word. That's the same term that we get uh, agriculturally for grafted. Um, we had a sheep-nosed apple tree. I've shared before as an illustration, but it really wasn't a sheep-nosed apple tree. The roots in the ground were just an old yellow-filled apple. And you couldn't do anything except throw them at your brother. I mean, that's all they were good for. The horses would eat them. But you'd have an apple fight, or the horses could eat them. But my papaw got a branch off of a sheep-nosed apple tree, and he grafted it into the side of that old yellow-filled apple. And it had the most wonderful apples. Well, friend, listen. The Word of God is not born in our hearts when you, when you come into this world. For the Word of God to be benefited in your life, friend, it must be grafted into your life. And so we're to receive God's Word. It's to be engrafted. It's to be a part of us. And when it becomes a part of us, listen, if it's really grafted, it's going to produce. My papa didn't just put that sheep-nosed apple in there because he thought it'd be great to have a dead sheep-nosed apple branch grafted into another tree. He wanted it to produce fruit. And when God's Word is engrafted into our lives, friend, you don't have to try. The natural byproduct of the, your spiritual life and God's Word at work will produce spiritual fruit. Galatians says there's going to be love, joy, peace, all all of that spiritual fruit, it's just going to grow by natural default. It's It's going to be there. And he says it's able to save our souls. Now, he's not talking about from sin's penalty. Here he's talking about sin's possession. He's already talking to people who've been born again. When he speaks here of souls, which is able to save your souls, the latter part of verse number 21, in the Greek he's talking about our psyche. It's, it's the seed of our emotions. It's our, our spiritual mind where we think, where we deal with things. The Word of God is able to, to save us and to, to protect our feelings, our desires, and our affections from a flesh response and let them be guided by a spiritual response. That's what the Word can do. Philippians 4, 7, the Apostle Paul says, and he prayed that the peace of God would guard their hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. The peace of God that passes all understanding would guard their hearts and minds. It's a product of the engrafted Word of God that you receive into your life with meekness. And in preparation for that, you make sure that there's no trash, that the Word of God might be a full effect in you. And so our lives must be marked by humility. Our lives must be marked by, hosp- uh, by hospitality uh, toward the Word of God. And then third, there must be a mark of honor. A mark of honor in our life towards the Word of God. Verse 22 says this, But be doers of the Word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. When we're talking about honoring the Word of God, we're talking about doing it. Not just, you know, well, it's in a place of, you know, great position in our house. You know, we, we put it there on the, the center table and flop it open. That's not what he's talking about. 
And I think you ought to honor God's Word. I don't think it ought to be under a stack of books. I don't think you ought to sit your coffee on it. It ought to be in your dash all week long, baking in the sun. And I can sure tell you this, it ought to, it ought to be left in the pew to mark your position. You ought to take it home with you and you ought to read it. There ought to be one Bible left in this church except the pew Bibles that we own. And how that became part of the culture in the South is absolutely beyond me. But you ought to take your Bible home. Because I can promise you, friend, if you, don't, if you care less, you just leave a Bible here to mark your spot. And nobody's got a spot. Anybody can sit anywhere they want to. But you ought to honor the Word of God by taking it with you so that you can read it during the week. Boy, it got quiet there, didn't it? Shouldn't. It shouldn't. So we're, we're to honor the Word of God through doing. Doers means performers of it. I don't mean actors. The Bible means living out that truth in reality. There's a lot of that. There's enough actors in local churches. You know what the, the real word for that is? Anybody guess? Hypocrites. That's what, that's what hypocrite means, play actor. It's these commercials you see for uh, medicine, you know. There'll, there'll be some guy that'll come over and says, you know, I'm not a real doctor. I just play one on television. But I believe in, and you can't even pronounce the, the name of, of the new drug. And then they've got so many warnings. Well, you're scared to death to take it then. But the guy that's on there, he's not a real doctor. He's just playing one. And friend, I'm telling you, the local churches, especially here in the South, in this post-Christian culture that we are moving into, friend, we're not moving in, we're in. The Bible says in 2 Timothy 3 and 4, in the last days the church will be marked, sadly, by hypocrisy. The last letter to the church is Revelation 3. Luke, warm, going through the motions, never been born again. Christians in name only. In name only. And that can't be. He's talking about being a true performer of the Word. It's a real lived out reality in your life. Not just hearers only. You know, people love to quote this verse. Pay attention to this for now when you hear this verse. I guarantee you, Nine times out of ten, when you hear somebody quote James 1.22, they will say this, but be doers of the word and not hearers only. And they'll stop right there. Well, the rest of the verse is where the, the real impact is. Deceiving yourselves. You see, the self-deception is just to think this. I can listen to my Sunday school teacher. I can listen to my favorite preacher on the radio. I can listen to the message on Sunday morning, and I'm good. Well, you're not. The Bible says that's deception. No benefit comes about in your life unless you perform the Word of God. You hear me this morning. Hell will be full of multiplied millions who heard the gospel, but they never obeyed it in repentance and submission to the Lordship of Christ. They never did. And the landscape of the church is littered with burning testimonies. People who lost their testimony. They knew the Word, but they wouldn't live the Word. They wouldn't live it. You have to honor God's Word to benefit from it. It must be done, lived out, performed in your life. Deception by thinking that knowing is enough. You know, it's one thing to be deceived, but to deceive yourself? That's terrible. I knew a man several years ago that had a 
big lump on his arm, as big as a softball. You could see it under his golf shirts that he would wear. He just convinced himself there was nothing wrong. Just nothing wrong, nothing wrong, nothing wrong. Well, he knew something was wrong, but he said, nothing wrong. He just, and finally one day, I guess he just finally believed that nothing was wrong. And nobody ever challenged him about it because apparently he got upset when he was challenged about it. But you can do that with your health. You can do that with things that you see it around your property. I'm sure it's fine. I'm sure it's fine. You just keep telling yourself sooner or later, you can probably believe that. Friend, I want to tell you something. You can deceive yourself into thinking that I'm okay with God and everything's okay if I just know the truth. But James is teaching, my friend, if the Word of God is not a lived out reality in your life, you're deceiving yourself. You will not benefit from it. You will not. It must be a lived out reality. Look what he says in verse number 23. For if anyone is, is a hearer of the Word and not a doer, so this is the person that's deceiving themselves. They hear it. They have no intention in doing it. Whatever the excuses are. For anyone who's just a hearer and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in the mirror, for he observes himself and goes away immediately and forgets what kind of man he was. They, they look in the mirror, but they don't change what's out of order. I know, listen, I, I need to share something that's going to surprise you this morning. Okay, so brace yourself. I don't wake up looking this good every morning. I really, I'm just kidding. One side of my hair is up here. My face is all matted. The imprint of my pillow is here. And I've got to spend some time trying to get everything back in order and slicked down and glued down. Everything right. And then I've got, I've got a cow lick that I was born with. I've got to really glue it down. Or it just because it's really out of whack of a morning. How foolish would it be for me to see who I am of a morning in the mirror and just to go away and say, well, it'll be all right. I'm, I'm sure it'll be fine by the time I get to church. Well, you would actually laugh then. So the Bible says how foolish. To look into the Word of God, hear me, and to see what the Bible says about you and not to change it. You see who you are, but you just go away and say, well, I, I'm sure I'm going to be fine. The Spirit of God convicts you. You've never really been born again. You've been a member of the church, but you've never been born again. You continue to see the truth over and over again, but you say, I'm sure I'm going to be fine. But you're not you got a child or a grandchild that shows no concern for the things of God. And the Word of God challenges you in that and convicts you over that. And you, you know you have responsibility to help point them in the right way and to hold them accountable and to challenge them. But you say, well, I'm sure it's going to be fine. It's not. It's not going to fix itself. The Word of God points out the things in our life that are out of line with the character and the person of the Lord Jesus Christ so that Romans 8, 29, we might be conformed into His image. Into His image. The goal isn't for you to find, this is a big popular phrase this day, that you might be the best version of you. Give me a break. Friend, I don't want to be the best version of me. I want to be the best that I can be in the Lord Jesus Christ. I want him to have all of me and live the life he wants to through me. And if you don't respond to what you see in the Word, it's self-deception. When I was a boy, there was, a, there was an amusement park 
uh, near where I lived. We went up on the mountain, and I'll, I'll never forget, we walked through this little hallway, and there were these different mirrors in there. You'd stand in front of one, and it'd make you look real squatty. And your face would squinch up. And then you moved over to the next one, it made you look real tall, like a, a bean pole. And then you walked over to one, and it made you look like you had curves in it. And then you went to the final one, and it showed you exactly who you were. How foolish would it be for somebody to buy a mirror that every morning wouldn't show them the truth of what's there so that you can fix it, but, but, but just gave you a picture, if it existed, of who, who you really want to be without changing anything. And you know, that's what people do spiritually all the time. They look for, not special mirrors, but for special spiritual books. They'll teach you how to live like every day's Friday. You know, and how to embrace your inner you. And life's all about you. And then you'll couple that with, with special preachers and teachers who will tell you just how special you are. And you don't, you don't have to change. And that God loves you. And, 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 you, and you're, you're going to turn all your problems into possibilities and all your scars into stars. But meanwhile, friend, you stay exactly how you are spiritually instead of being conformed into the image of Christ because you're looking towards false truth instead of into real truth. You're never going to be who God wants you to be and fully benefit from God's Word until you honor the Word of God. When it shows you who you are, you submit yourself to the Lord Jesus Christ and say, make me into the man or woman that you want me to be. Sometimes that hurts just like combing out a tangle. Or sometimes you got to shave a hard part on your lip where it's a lot stiffer than it used to be. And how is it the hair grows in your ears, but you start loosening it up here? I don't know. But you got to get all these things plucked out and pulled. And so putting yourself together can be painful, but it's not as painful as getting put together spiritual, friend. You've got to submit your, hand, your life to the hand of the surgeon and let him remake you, the master builder, into the masterpiece that he wants you to be. Real mirrors tell the truth, and the Word of God will always tell you exactly. Listen, not how you want to see yourself. This is what's important. Who God sees. God sees the real you. He sees the real family. And church, can I remind you from Revelation chapter 2 and 3? He sees the real Greenwood Baptist Church. He knows who we are. He sees us. And so common sense says respond to what the mirror shows. John 17, 17. Jesus said, he prayed, God sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. The Word of God tells me exactly who I am. So the question to ask this morning is this. Is the Word of God marking me? A lot of people mark their Bibles. It's a trendy thing for some now. They've got different colored pens and little cute notebooks that they're able to take notes in. And then some send out, you know, they'll get everything just perfect for their social media. They'll get the, the lighting just right and their cup of coffee and their Bible and their pens and they'll Snap all these things where they've marked the Word. The real question is this. Not are you marking the Word, but is the Word marking you? Is it marking you? That's the question. Are you honoring God's Word? It marks me as I respond with obedience to its every command 
and prohibition. There's, there's nothing that I overlook. Look at verse 25. Here's the promise. But he or she, the believer, but he who looks into the perfect law of liberty, that's the word of God, and continues in it. That means does it and continues walking in it. And it's not a forgetful here, but a doer of the work. This one will be blessed in what he does. Friend, you can't, you can't get a better promise than that. You want God's blessing on your life? Know God's word, show God's word. Know it, stow it, show it, sow it. Just let the word of God be a reality. What's the reverse truth? You hear me this morning, we're about to go to the invitation. If you don't know God's word, if you don't stow God's word, if you don't show God's word, that is, you don't honor it, you don't perform it, your life's not going to be blessed. You're always going to be walking around with the devil's second best rather than God's blessed blessed. Blessed best. Not good, but best. But best. It's my relationship to the Word of God. Questions to ask as we go to invitation this morning. Would you be honest for God? Are you spending time in God's Word every day? Don't pack up. Listen, it's the most important part of the service. Are you spending time daily in God's Word? God, God knows whether it's true or not. Are you changed by what you study? Are you daily yielding yourself to the Master's hand? Jeremiah went down to the potter's house. God asked him what he saw. He saw a potter. He saw a vessel. It was marred in the hands of the potter, but the potter remade it as he best saw fit. Are you yielding yourself to God like that every day that he might make you into the masterpiece that he wants you to be? Is your life marked by humility toward the Word? Are you hospitable to it? I mean, do you really want God's Word in your life? Are you a doer of the word in reality? Can you really say, I'm brethren? Verse 19, I've been born again to the family of God. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. If you've never done that, you've never trusted Christ to be Lord of your life. Won't you do it today? He loves you. He died for you. He's done everything short of violating your free will, just as they sang this morning, to redeem your soul from the penalty of sin. Won't you turn from all your sin? Won't you trust Him to be Lord of your life today? He promises if you'll confess Him to be Lord, Romans 10, 13, He will save you. Tell Him so right now in a simple prayer of faith where you sit, just like this. God, I admit my sin today. I'm a sinner. I turn from my sin. I turn to you in saving faith, believing you died for me, you rose again. And I trust you, Jesus, to be Lord of my life. Now mold me and make me to the man or woman you want me to be. That's my prayer today. If you meant that, I'm going to stand here at the front in just a moment. I'm going to invite you to make your way down to where I'm standing so I can encourage you in what God wants to do next in your life. Friends, so many different points to this message this morning from this text. I simply ask you this. As the Holy Spirit challenges you where you might be lacking today, would you not let the Word of God be at home in your life? And would you not ask the Holy Spirit today to begin to change you and to mold you and to make you further into the image of Christ and less in the image of you? Father, thank you that we can benefit from your word. I pray your spirit will challenge us now and speak to us where we are found lacking in these points today. 
that hinders us from truly benefiting, benefiting from your word. I pray you'll speak to us and challenge us and we will humble and submit ourselves to the call of the Holy Spirit. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Let's remember.